Have you ever wondered whether you're enough? Whether you do enough, have enough, are enough? Do you ever wonder if you can actually make a difference in the world? What do I have to offer? No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. What if we took the little we have, our presence, prayers, resources, and talents, and combined it together, everyone offering what they have, whether little or big, then together, we could do the impossible. Together, we could change the world. So let's do this, together. Good morning. Um, For those who don't know me, I'm short and I'm going to be shorter this morning because I'll stand down here. Uh, My name is Renee and I get to be a part of the leadership around here, which I really love. And I'm really glad you're here this morning. Um, If you leave here hearing nothing else, I'm going to give you four things right off the top that I would love for you to just hopefully retain, but also wrestle with this week, okay? The first one is that around here we believe there's a God. Some people don't believe that. We do. We believe that he loves us very, very much. We believe that he designed this world to be lived a certain way. And the fourth thing is we believe his son Jesus came to earth and showed us what that way is. And every time we gather in this space, we talk about that. We talk about what's the way this week that we're looking at and why is it designed that way. And this morning is no difference. We're gonna talk about this concept of presence and what does it mean to be more than just us when it comes to showing up for others. Now, over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about prayer. So if you have questions about prayer, you're curious about that, be sure to be here. We're going to talk about talents and resources and what those are and why those are important. But this morning, in terms of showing up, we're going to ask you to wrestle with why you show up to the places that you do. Who compels you to show up where you do? What do you do when you're there? How come you go? These kind of things. And to kick us off, I've asked Sarah Mazada to come and share. She's going to talk about the importance in her life and how it's impacted her life, where people who have known God have shown up. So can you welcome Sarah this morning, please? Good morning, everyone. So really, I fell in love with God before I even stepped foot inside of a church. And that's really where my story starts. And I packed up my bags after my freshman year of college, and I accepted a summer internship a few states away in Oklahoma. I would describe myself as an atheist at that point. Came back three months later as a really excited believer. So something happened in those three months, and really I met a small group of people. We're talking a lot about home groups today. And it was really the first time in my life where I experienced a group of people who loved God, who took me in, really answered all the crazy questions that I had, and were great friends to me. And that really inspired me to live different walking away from there. From that, so I think I really started my relationship with God through a home group, and it continues to be a thread in my life of how God continues to teach me. So today I thought I'd share a little bit about my current struggle with where I'm at and how home groups have showed up in that. And with that, two verses I've really been grappling with. And the first, you can go ahead and flip it on your phone if you want or just listen. But Ephesians 3.20 is where I wanted to start today. And that verse is something you're probably familiar with. It's now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us. So if I'm going to be honest, this verse is hard for me. I believe it. I believe that God can do immeasurably more. But doesn't it often feel like 
we're not enough, things aren't enough. So whether that's something as simple as a project at work, a relationship, I know for me how I am as a mom, as a wife, I feel like I fall so short. The other verse I've been thinking a lot over the last couple of years is 1 Peter 2.1. And that's, therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. It's actually in the context of a home group where we really grappled with this verse, and we took the time to look up the definition of all those words, you know, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, what does that mean? And we wanted to take, what's the antonym of that? If you were to take that word and flip it upside down, so instead of ridding yourself of these things, what does it look like to clothe yourself? And so this is what I came up with, what was really important to me a couple years back when I was thinking about it. So clothe yourself in all thoughtfulness, in all openness, in sincerity, in contentedness, and all praise. So these two verses, believing God to do immeasurably more, God can do so much, yet being content. That was the word that really struck me from when I was looking at the opposite. What does it mean to be content, but believe that he can do so much more? So with that journey, I just thought I'd share, I'm assuming I'm not the only person here that struggles with feeling content in all things. So I just wanted to share how God is walking me through that. And there's three things that have been helpful. And the first, um, it sounds kind of silly, but I know that Last summer, or this summer, we went to California near San Francisco for a family vacation. And this is a place we used to live, we know it well. And we were able to connect with friends, take time outside of work, and it was really a fantastic vacation. But I found during that trip that I was really struggling with feeling content when everything was stripped away and I wasn't as busy. And so things like, I'm sure you've done this as well, when's the next great cup of coffee that I can have? Or can I go to that bakery and get another croissant? Or being frustrated with these beautiful sites where it's on an amazing hike, and instead of enjoying that, I'm saying, man, it's too foggy. The marine layer is sitting over the ocean. I just can't enjoy it like I used to. And even frustrated with kids or someone else's kids in a restaurant when you're trying to enjoy a dinner. And it was really there, I was struck with that feeling of being content and I ha how I wanted to come back and look differently at that. And so the other thing about California, if you know that it are, it's great weather, right? Sunny all the time, clear blue skies. I was actually <laughs> saying, man, the sky's too blue, right? I, I, I missed the clouds. So I figured when I came back, a way I can practice feeling content, and this is the first simple way, is worshiping God's creation with clouds. So if you, every day they're a little bit different, the sun kind of casts different lights through it. It can be feathery. And so what I love about feeling content in the clouds is there's nothing I have to do to make them look any different. They just are the way that they are. And so you can sit back and worship God and feel content. So that's one way. And the second way, there's a question I try to ask myself when I'm feeling frustrated and discontent. And that question is asking, am I upset because it's disrupting Sarah's kingdom? Or am I upset because it's disrupting something of God's kingdom? It's okay to feel these different emotions, but I find that more often than not, I'm upset because of Sarah's kingdom, not God's kingdom. So that's an important filter question. And then third is really simply being a part of a home group. Like I said, this is a thread that's been in my life since I took that internship after my freshman year. And I think our, our go-to is to hang out with people that are like us in the same stage of life. And we tend to talk about a lot of things at the surface, don't we? So it's with taking the intention of a home group, you get to experience different perspectives, different life stages, things that you haven't experienced yet, and then encourage those that are walking through them as well. 
And it's a great place to focus yourself on some intentional conversation and give you a place to process the things of God. So that to me, that we can in a small way experience that God can do immeasurably more, even if we might not be experiencing it in our own life, someone else in the group will be able to share their experience. And it's really encouraging. I've really loved, I know that in different phases of life, it's hard to maintain that. But um, Guy and I, we host one in our house. We have little kids. And as hard as it is to make that time, it's also great for them. I love that they can say goodnight to everyone there and feel encouraged as well. So I really challenge you that if you are feeling discontent or disconnected, I know it seems like they're going to be talking to home group leaders after and different folks around the room. So have that conversation. I really appreciate the time to be able to share my love of home groups and be open to what God wants to do with that. So thank you. Um, fun fact about Sarah and I, we actually met uh, like 16 years ago. It was. Uh, we reconnected when I started coming here, but um, I lived in this house for a summer in college, and I just sublet from a friend, and then she sublet too, and so, yeah, it was fun. I was, yeah. Yes, so super fun, and it was because people showed up. It was because people who knew God connected us to one another and in this crazy web of church world that exists. Um, if you've been around the church a long time, you know it's a very small place, even though it feels very big, right? But here's the reality of this morning. Showing up is not easy for everybody. Showing up is often something very draining to many people. And I think there's two reasons for that, and I want to talk about those this morning. One is the way that we're currently wired, and one is the way that the world is currently wired, when it comes to us and how we're wired, um, how many of you in here would say that you're an extrovert? Love people, love places, love stimulation, being out and about, yeah? Okay, I appreciate this. We're gonna, yes. All right, and so if you didn't raise your hand, I won't make you because you're probably more of an introvert. Right? <laughs> like you gain your energy internally in solitude more by yourself. And that's the way you would say you were wired. And when I was coming up and learning psychology, those were the two options that I knew existed. You're either extroverted or you're introverted. But fun fact, there's a third option. Does anyone know what it's called? An ambivert. Yes, I am an ambivert. Sometimes I want people around and I get really energized by that. And sometimes I really just need some time by myself. There's a psychologist by the name of Adam Grant. And you might have read a book or heard a TED Talk by him. But he was interviewed by the Wall Street Journal um, and he shared that in today's world, two-thirds of the population actually identify more as an ambivert than a strong introvert or extrovert. And this morning, I want to make the case that Jesus was an ambivert too. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to Mark 6, and it's going to be on the screen. Mark is one of the biographies of Jesus. Um, and in, in, in chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 30. What we find is Jesus is meeting with his disciples. They've been out journeying. They've gone out two by twos into different towns to talk about Jesus and to meet people. And then they're all coming back and they're getting together. And this is what happens. Mark 6, starting in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So here's Jesus with his guys. They're getting in the boat. They're supposed to go hang out and just be like, you know, 13 dudes hanging out on a fishing boat. And he gets to the shore and here's all these people. And if you've read further in the story, you can this week, this is the story of the loaves and the fishes where he has five loaves of bread and two fish and he makes it last for thousands of people in abundance. Like they come back with baskets of food left over. So here's Jesus planning on doing this time with his guys, gets there, thousands of people. He ends up feeding them, breaking them in the groups. He teaches them. And then he says this, if you look at verse 45, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. See, Jesus is an ambivert. He spent a little bit of time with the people and then he needed a little bit of time by himself. And here's why I mentioned this this morning, because if we're talking about showing up and we're talking about presence and we've said we wanna follow Jesus and look to him as the guideline for how to live life, then some of us need to consider where we're spending time with people and where we're spending time by ourselves. Because the fact of the matter is if we follow him and his Holy Spirit's existing in us, his Holy Spirit's probably rewiring some of the ways we're currently wired, either to be more or less extroverted or more or less introverted. Because some people get excited about that and some people don't. But we need both. And here's what I think Jesus did. I'm gonna just guess here. In Mark 6, he was in the boat, he's with his guys, he sees the people and he asked the question, what's most valuable right now? What's the value added if I stay in the boat? Because right, he didn't have to put his anchor in. He could have said, whoa, guys, look at all those people. Let's turn around and get out of here, right? Like he could have changed the plan, but he didn't. He still put his anchor down. They still got out of the boat and then they ended up ministering and feeding 5,000 plus. Which means he asked the question, what's most valuable here? There's two big questions when it comes to this. Will it be valuable for me if I show up? I'm sure Jesus had to consider that. And will it be valuable for others if I show up? And I think these questions are the same today. When you consider where you're present and where you show up, you have to ask the question, is it valuable to me? Is it worth my energy and time and space and commitment? And will it be of value to others? That's the question I don't think we ask nearly enough. The second reason why sometimes it's draining to be with other people is this question of how the world is wired today, specifically in regards to time. Now, how many of you have jobs and work? Right, work takes time. Work takes time. If you're in relationships, you have kids, spouses, friends, family, those take time. If you have a house or an apartment, if you're renting or you're buying, those take time. If you're here at church this morning, this is taking your time, right? And you could probably make a list of 20 to 25 other things that we rephrase it like this, take your time. Because in today's world, how many of you really feel like you're allowed to take a breath and to have margin and have wiggle room? That's not the way the world is wired. In 2014, a book came out. The book's called Essentialism. And what essentialism is about is a theory of approach to the world that we live in. So it's like the Marie Kondo of life living, okay? Basically saying, only do what's essential to your purpose and goals in life and everything else say no to. Literally everything else. So you have to make your goals, stick to them, 
and your purpose and fulfillment will grow. That's the idea behind essentialism because we're so busy. You talk to anybody who's a parent, that's the, I come from a youth ministry background and it's they're so busy, right? But the problem with the busyness, and this book points it out, is that it's not becoming fulfilling. We go through day-to-day lives doing task lists over and over and over again to get to the end to say, what have we really accomplished today when most of us would like to accomplish something? and contribute in some capacity greater than ourselves. And so what essentialism did was ask this question. Is this the very most important thing I should be doing with my time and resources right now? When you consider your weeks and your days, how often do you even allow the space to ask a question like this? Is what I'm doing with my time and resources the very most important things right now? If you look out at society, how often... Do we as a community ask that? Where are we giving space for people to really examine their lives like this? Because historically, the world hasn't always operated in this fast-paced go, go, go way. Which means in order to get to the place we are today, the people of the past have had to take time and think and breathe and have margin. I'm gonna say Jesus was the original essentialist and here's why. Let's look at what the author writes. Essentialism is not about how to get more things done. It's about how to get the right things done. It's about making the wisest possible investment of your time and energy in order to operate at our highest point of contribution by doing only what is essential. He goes on to say, creating an essential intent is a hard. It takes courage, insight, and foresight to see which activities and efforts will add up to your single highest point of contribution. It takes asking tough questions, making real trade-offs and exercising serious discipline to cut out the competing priorities that distract us from our true intention. Yet, it is worth the effort because only with real clarity of purpose can people, teams, and organizations fully mobilize and achieve something truly excellent. Look at that last phrase. This is why Jesus was the original essentialist. He changed the world in the ways that he showed up and the yeses that he said and the no's that he said. When we study the life of Jesus and we consider where he showed up, it's important for us because he changed the world in those ways. Here's how I see Jesus showing up in scripture. There's five ways. One is with God the Father. He took time away to pray and be by himself with God the Father. This is throughout the scripture. And it's important enough that the author noted it. They didn't just dismiss this time alone that Jesus spent. Jesus spent time with the church. He was often studying scripture with others and he was with other leaders. Jesus spent time with a small group of disciples, doing life together, eating, drinking, traveling. He had people in his life that he was trying to live this life, the kingdom way with, and they too. Jesus showed up with friends. You know the story of Lazarus and Mary and Martha? He would just arrive in town and Mary opened their doors and you had this whole Mary, Martha, what should we do when Jesus is here? Should we listen to him or should we, you know, get busy doing the tasks of the house? These are stories that were felt necessary to share to show us what it's like to live life following Jesus. And the last place he showed up with all the time was with strangers. He showed up with strangers all the time. When you read stories of miracles or him visiting towns or his conversations with others, he didn't know all of them personally like he did the friends and the disciples in terms of them knowing him, but he showed up in these spaces. So if you look at the five places that he showed up, God, church, small group of people, friends, strangers, 80% of those are with other people. 
Think about that. He definitely took time for himself with just God. But the rest of the time he spent with others very strategically. Now me, when I look at this list, can we go to the next one, Max? Thanks. When I look at this list, some weeks, if I'm being honest, all of these spaces energize me. I get excited about being in those spaces. I have a place to actually be in those spaces, right? Like Sarah was talking about, do you have a small group or you know, are you in a place where you can do this? And some weeks, maybe just time with God is the best thing for me and nobody else. So that's, that's reality. But here's what I found and I've tried to examine this in my own life. When I'm most reluctant to give my time and energy to any of these spaces, it often directly correlates with how much I actually care about the people I need to show up for or how much I actually care about the person asking me to show up in those spaces. And sometimes the person asking me to show up is Jesus. And I have to consider, is it value added? Because here's what I've learned about following Jesus. Our presence in places isn't about us. It's not about us because he's wiring us differently than the world around us. He's saying, hey, come live a life that's not just about you. Sometimes I get into these thought spirals and I had one a couple weeks ago. When I say thought spiral, I mean, I get fixated on a singular thought or question that's just kind of come into my frame of reference. I don't know if anyone else does that. Um, But a few weeks ago, um, I was in this tension around a question, is love always accommodating to everyone else? Because in my life, it felt like I just kept accommodating for everyone else around me. And I didn't mind it because I loved the people I was, you know, making changes and plans around and for. But yeah, I was in this tension like, oh, can anyone just maybe see my perspective, step in my shoes, live my life for just a minute, right? Has anyone else ever felt that tension? Like, please. So this question came up because I felt like very selfish when I was thinking that. So is love always accommodating everyone else? Yeah. I landed with yeah. Now, self-care is important. Again, Jesus got time away from, from everyone else to spend time with just God the Father. But if we think about a selfless love, if we think about a sacrificial love, if we think about showing up for others in ways that might bend our own schedules or break our own schedules or our own will, yeah. Love is accommodating other people quite frequently. Is it valuable for me to do that? I think Jesus believes so. I think it teaches me something. Is it valuable for others? Well, sure, I'm bending my schedule, right, to be with them. Sometimes no, though, and I want you to know that. Sometimes it's not value added for me to be in a space with people. Sometimes I need time, or sometimes that group of people will not benefit from me being around, but sometimes they will. And this isn't, a, this isn't trying to convince anyone that we should be in places that are harmful or abusive or where we're gonna get taken advantage of, right? Because when we use the phrase like accommodating everyone else, right? That can seem very like, well, I'll, I'll do what they say, I, you know, submissive. And that's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is how to show up in places where we might not want to. We're home from a day of work, we're sitting on the couch and now we've got to go do fill in the blank and we just don't want to. And there's a question of, but if I go, will that be value added? I have a friend and um, she's in her mid-20s and they're constantly busy, like going from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. And she's like, you know, hey, do you wanna have breakfast? Yeah, well, I can only have breakfast on this day of the week, this week, and maybe next week on this day of the week, but that's it, that's all the time I have. And I said, okay, whew, you guys, you got a full week this week. And she goes, well, it's just a season. I said, 
you've been saying it's just a season for two years. Maybe stop saying that and just own that you're busy. But you have to ask what is adding value to your life in that busyness? Because Jesus invites us into living a life that's not just about us. And I believe there's a connection between the ways we show up and the places we're present and the ways we love others. And Paul talks about this too. So we're gonna dive into Romans 12 a little bit because throughout Paul's letters in the New Testament, most of the New Testament talks about the church and the community and how the body of Christ connects with one another. And Jesus calls us to love others well. And so there has to be an alignment there. And here's what he says in Romans 12. He starts off by saying, and so dear brothers and sisters, so right there, because you might say, hey, Renee, family wasn't on your list, but in the world of Jesus, when you become one in Christ, your family gets blown up and it gets so much bigger than just those that your blood related to. So Paul starts that, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person, that rewiring, by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Go back to that very first thing I said, that God designed the world to be lived in a certain way. And when it's lived in that way, it's seen as good and pleasing and perfect, but it takes a transformation of ourselves with a larger group of people, with others. And here's what I'm gonna suggest is that we miss out on experiences of life if we're not living it with others in strategic ways. Here's some of the experiences. Paul talks about it in verse five and nine, that we belong to each other, not to just pretend to love others, but to really love them. Where else can you practice that? But in a church family, in a small group? Are you in places where you have to practice loving people that you don't really know because you have to get to know them? Look at this next one. In verse 13, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Are we in spaces where we can actually help others? That's an intentional commitment sometimes to be there for somebody else. Look at this next one, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. This has become very true in our community in a lot of different ways in the past few months. We've known people who've been in deep mourning. We've known people who've been in deep celebration and we've gotten to come alongside them. The last one I wanna call out is verse 16. To live in harmony with each other don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. To live at peace with all those around you. I don't live at peace with everyone around me, but the thought of trying is an experience that Jesus wants me to have in hopes of that being my constant. Presence is doing life with others. That's all it is. Being present, showing up, doing life with others. And when we get to do that, it makes it difficult to live self-sufficiently. So if you're here going, Renee, I'm cool, I'm fine, I'm, I'm good. I don't need other people. I've pretty much hunkered down. I've got a basement full of supplies. If we go into the Armageddon, I'm good, right? Jesus is gonna say, man, you're missing out on an opportunity though. We miss out on opportunities to share in our burdens and to celebrate our victories. Living in community makes it difficult to hold secrets and lies because we're living more openly and authentically with others around us. And he thinks that's important. We have an invitation to choose contentment. 
We have an invitation to choose humility over pride. We have an invitation to choose peace over tension because it's about more than just us when we live in life with others. I'm gonna invite the band back up here. And, and as they come up, I want you to think about this. It's hard to love someone else from a distance, right? And if we're only loving them in theory, if we say, yeah, I believe all people should be loved, but we're not actually with all people and others to live that out close up, then what's it doing in our spirits, in our hearts? As Sarah mentioned, we've got small group signs and home group signs and community group signs posted around. We're gonna have some people from each um, sitting at the tables today just up to talk. If you're not a part of a small group, we believe that that's a value added space for you to be. We believe that those are people that you can practice some of these things with, that you can talk about how difficult it is or how easy it is, that you can pray with one another, that you can just do life together with. But I would encourage you to think about those five spaces where Jesus decided to show up throughout his life and consider how that looks in your life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your presence in this space today. I thank you that you deem us worthy to spend time with, to pour into, to walk with, to speak to. However your spirit moves, Lord, gratitude is what pours from our hearts because you are who you are and you say to each of us, you are valuable, you are worthy, and you are worth showing up for. Thank you, Jesus. Pray that you would help us go from this place this day and throughout our weeks, showing up for others just as you show up for us. In your name we pray.